chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It was Mark Twain who once said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that concern me. It's the things that I do understand. And Paul the Apostle is going to shed some light on some things today that are hard words. Hard words for the church at Thessalonica, but they needed to be said. The Bible tells us to share the truth in love. And I find that I say that comment right there two or three times a week. Share the truth in love. Tuesday night at men's ministry, we were talking about um, uh, someone had shared a, a passage, was, was sharing and said something, and they came back to the men and said, I'm sorry, guys, what I said was not true. Like I heard someone else say it, but I actually researched it, and I found out that it wasn't true, so I apologized. And, and so, but in the midst of that, there was this long conversation about correction and telling people things and the context to do that, and it was really, really good and really healthy. And so Paul the Apostle has some words for the church at Thessalonica before he signs off on his, um, his second letter to them. And so um, uh, this is, we're going to try to finish up tonight with, uh, with this, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. And so uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, to kind of get a little bit of backdrop from last night, uh, um, last week, he said, We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things we command. May the Lord... Direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. All right. Then he gives him a warning. And uh, this is something that he addressed in 1 Thessalonians. So he's reminding them of something that he had said to them before. He says, and I'll just read down to verse 12, verse 6 through 12. He says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accordance with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. So, Father God, thank you for your word to us uh, this, this night. Let it speak to our hearts and seep into our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the command to withdraw. The command to withdraw. He says, we command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's sort of like doubling up on a command. First, it's Paul the Apostle who has apostolic authority. And by the way... No one today has authority like the apostles had authority. You can operate in an apostolic gift. I believe that. But the authority that the apostles had, some of the ones who actually penned the New Testament and walked with Jesus, that was a whole other level of authority. And so he says, when Paul the apostle says, we command you, nobody said, well, who does he think he is commanding us? No, they understood the authority that he had. We command you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. On Sunday, we talked about the name of the Lord. 
and the power behind the name and the authority behind the name and what it meant to say something in the name of Jesus. Why do we pray at the end of our prayers, say, in Jesus' name? Because when we invoke the name of Jesus, all of the authority, all of the power, all of the might that is within the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, because we're in union with him, all of that stands with us. That's why the, uh, the Sanhedrin told uh, James, uh, 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 Peter, and, Peter and John, uh, no longer speak in the name of Jesus. Don't use that name anymore. And, of course, they said, hey, man, sorry. We have to, we have to be obedient to God, not you. And so he, this is a strong command I command you in the name of our Lord Jesus, uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, keep away from any brother walking in idleness, not in accordance with the tradition that you receive. The, the Amplified Bible says this, withdraw and keep away from every brother or sister who leads an undisciplined life and does not live in accordance with the tradition and teaching that you have received from us. Okay, that is a strong word. There are those even within the body of Christ that say, hey, man, it's always wrong to judge somebody else. It's always wrong to give harsh criticism to anybody else. I mean, after all, uh, uh, who is uh, who among you is perfect? And the Bible even says that you who are spiritual, take heed lest you fall. Uh, but there is a place for withdrawing from someone in the body of Christ. Now, we should not withdraw. Now, we'll talk a little bit about what that means, but it means to separate yourself from them. It literally means to say, I can no longer fellowship with you. And it's mentioned a few times in the New Testament. Okay? Hang with me. We should not withdraw from someone who's not keeping up with our traditions and our expectations. That's different. Okay? Someone, you know, you've been delivered from something and you're walking in freedom, but someone is struggling in that and you judge them because your expectation is if God delivered me, he can deliver you. You've not been delivered, therefore I'm withdrawing from fellowship with you. That's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> that is totally wrong. And we do that, right? Sometimes the things that we have been delivered from are the things that we are most judgmental in others about. Sometimes, not always. I told you this was harsh. This was a harsh word. It is. Okay? But to withdraw from someone because they're not keeping up to the level of holiness that we think they should be at is legalism. And it's false, and it's not biblical. He says, those who are not walking in the word of the apostles, brothers and sisters. Paul the apostle in 1 Corinthians would speak about those who are not in the church, but those who are in the church who are not walking in the word of the apostle. That word walk, what does that mean? The present tense, this is from Hybert, he's a Greek scholar. He says, the present tense of the verb walks denotes that it is a deliberate course of action. Their disorderly conduct is not an occasional lapse, but a persistent practice. And so, if there is someone uh, who is idle, 
and we're going to talk a little bit more about that because Paul has much more to say about that, or who's not walking in accordance to the tradition of the apostles or in accordance to the word of God, you are, according to Paul the apostle, to withdraw from that person because they are consistently, persistently walking in sin, and it's like they don't even care. He says, withdraw yourself from them. Paul had already told them to warn the unruly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Understand this. When the Bible in the New Testament tells you to withdraw from someone, it is always for the uh, purpose of redeeming them back to the Lord. It's the idea that hopefully they will understand the seriousness of their sin. It's hopefully that they would understand that they're not welcome in the, in the assembly because they're continuing in sin. Hey, you know what? I'm not talking about someone who's struggling with sin because who doesn't struggle with sin? I'm talking about someone who says, yeah, I know what's wrong, but I just don't care. Wait a minute. Are you, tr- are you truly a brother in Christ? Well, yes, I am. Well, then we're going to withdraw from fellowship with you. That is not easy. That's hard. But the purpose is not because anyone is better than anyone else or because nobody is struggling sin or anyone's perfect or anyone has it figured out, but it's so that that person would miss the fellowship of the believers and there be a conviction in their heart that they need to return. They need to repent, come back to God, and come back to fellowship. Not just go to the church down the street. Because in Thessalonica, you couldn't do that. Because if, you, if they withdrew from you and you went to the house group down the road, everybody knew because they were together. That's hard to do. There was a young man years ago that was, that, was, that was walking in sin in our youth ministry. A dear, dear young man, precious young man that, that God, you know, was going to use, use him for big things. And he was walking in sin. He's just walking. And I said, man, you're, you've gone beyond stumbling in this. You're walking headlong into it. And I said, and I don't, I don't know that I've ever said that. I have to think about it. But I said, Tim, if you continue sinning, I will withdraw from you. I will. And I just remember the look on his face was like, dang, this is serious. Because what, we, what do we do? We isolate our sin. We do it privately. We don't want anyone to know, and we walk in it. And God in his grace and his mercy exposes it. And as a brother in Christ, I am to check you on that as you are to check me. I'm to, I'm to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Hey, you know, you're, you're wrong. No, let's pray. Let's, let's not, don't continue in that. That is our responsibility. I know what you're thinking. Same thing I think. Man, who am I to be saying that to anybody? I got my own stuff I'm worried about. Right? Think about the church that truly loved one another. Because if that's not the motivation, it's already wrong. Think about the church that truly loved one another enough to tell someone that they love the truth that's continuing in sin and walking away from the Lord. Think about that. 
to say you're not welcome here. We love you. Repent and come home. But repent first. Whoa, that would be. I mean, that would do one of two things, right? That would drive you further from Christ or that would drive you to your knees. Wow. Okay, so hang on. Remember, the purpose is always redemptive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at what Paul says. This is, now you have to understand, we've talked about Corinth. There was a term in, in, in Rome uh, called Corinthianize. You know what that is? That's a weekend in Vegas <laughs> when people drive up here and go, yeah, man, I'm going to, you know, and they always say it the same way, Vegas. They tilt their head and they already act drunk just saying it. It's like, oh, yeah, we know all about it, man. We have to dodge you knuckleheads when we drive in on our streets. The reason we don't drive on this strip, and you're it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So Paul the Apostle says this. Listen to, listen to these. These are strong words. Verse of, um, where am I at? Verse, uh, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there was sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. I mean, listen to what Paul is saying. He's saying, are you serious, Corinthians? Man, your sin is worse than, like the pagans look at what y'all are doing and go, man, them dudes are, no, we are bad, but they are real bad in the church. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? A man has his father's wife. We assume that's a stepwife. Man, that's crazy, right? And, and he says, and you are arrogant. You, like, like you, you think that's okay. You're like, hey, whatever, dude. You know, hey, it ain't as bad as out there. And, and they're going, yes, it is. We're not, you know, why would I want to be like you? Y'all are worse than us. Then he says this. Are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? There's the heart. The morning. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I present I am present in spirit. As, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord, there it is, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay. Paul's like, y'all are boasting, like y'all are laughing and high-fiving and joking about this. Let me break down how serious this is. I'm not with you in, in bodily form, but I'm with you in spirit. And I may not be there, but I pronounce judgment on that man. Paul the apostle said that. Man, I pronounce judgment on him. And, and he says, when y'all come together, and I'm, I'm with you in a sense, in spirit, not present, in the name of the Lord Jesus, deliver that man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved. What are they saying? If he won't repent, remove him from your midst and literally turn him over to Satan. And if, his, if he dies, we're, the Lord is saying, 
This is how Paul is saying, this is how much God loves you. Toss him out and turn him over to Satan that his flesh might be destroyed, but his spirit might be saved. If and if it God will take you out in order to take you up, if he has to. Before you cross that line and 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 you are you're apostate and you're reprobate, you've turned from God, he'll take you out. Woo-wee. That, that, now, you know, Corinth wasn't laughing about that. They were going, oh, ho, turn him over to Satan. That's how serious Paul is about this. Wow. Wow. The purpose was to bring about repentance and salvation, not condemnation. Remember that, because if you lose that, you lose everything. He says in verse 9, when I wrote to you before, um, I, I actually think I'm back in, I don't, maybe I'm, in, I'm still in 1 Corinthians. Okay, sorry. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. What does your translation say? Verse 9. When I, I told you not to associate with who? Fornicate. People, brothers, what does it say? Immoral people. Okay, okay. So he's, he's, he's referencing, listen, when I wrote to you before, I told you to not associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Oh, well, Paul, if we can't associate with the immoral, then we have nothing to do with lost people. Paul's like, yo, I'm not talking about lost people. What do you expect from people who don't know Jesus? That's what they do. That's what we did. Okay? Those who don't know, they indulge in sexual sin. They're greedy. They cheat people. They worship idols and on and on and on. And he's trying to correct the philosophy that these people were saying, well, don't, don't talk to them. They're sinners. Yeah, but they don't know Jesus. There's a difference between someone who doesn't know Jesus who is continuing in sin and someone who does know Jesus as continue and continues in sin. Okay? So verse 11, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. And then he says this. He breaks it down even further. Don't even eat with such people. Hey, man, you want to go to lunch? Nope. Why not? You busy? No, man. You are walking in sin headlong. We've already had this discussion. I'm not, I'm, the Bible says don't even eat with you. Oh, man. Oh, what are you, holier than thou? No, I love you and I care about you. And I want you to understand that you need to turn back to the Lord and back to fellowship in that order. But until you do that, and I can't. I can't walk with you. I can't sup, you know, because to eat is, in one sense, it reflects community and oneness. Remember, Daniel wouldn't eat the food of the king in Babylon because he understood what that meant. Right? He says, don't even eat with them. You know, I'm sorry. And he says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those um, 
wait a minute. It isn't my responsibility to judge those, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from you. How do you read that? What does that say to you? What church does that? Why not? First of all, if you're not in community, you won't know. This was written to a group of people who lived in community. And so when someone started to slide backwards, folks knew. But our stuff is hidden. Nobody knows. And when we do know, whose responsibility is it to go and bring correction? Is that just my responsibility or is that your responsibility too? It's all of our responsibility. Just like it's your responsibility to correct me if I'm stumbling in sin and I'm just walking headlong, you have a responsibility to call me out. You do. Right? Brother, you had a comment? I remember, I remember years ago watching 60 Minutes where it was the Church of Christ and they, they actually ousted a lady that was continually in sin from from the fellowship. And they went through all the steps, you know, She ended up suing the church. I don't remember how it came out, but it was I don't I didn't follow the after that, but she ended up suing the church. So they, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Litigation. I'll sue. Let me in your church or I'll sue. Uh, that would be awfully tempting to say, all right, come on back, <laughs> you know. Hold on. Here's my lawyer, you know. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a there's there's a protection for some of those things when folks are members. Like when you have a membership. There are certain biblical precepts that, that you know, I and I, I I Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she sued, huh? Wow. Yeah. She was living large in her own mind. So first of all, Keep away from any brother walking in idleness and not in accordance with the tradition you receive. Secondly, keep away from those indulging in sexual sin. Not those who are struggling, but just continuing in. By the way, that doesn't apply to the person who's a first-time visitor. <laughs> just so you know, because I know sometimes we expect people who aren't Christians to act like they are. You ever come to church before? Nope, never been to a church. Okay, well, you got any sin in your life? What? Wait a minute, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I ain't going to tell you. Okay, okay, so indulging in sexual sin. Titus, and by the way, in this, in, in, in 2 Corinthians, the Corinthians were slow in restoring that one back to, fe back to fellowship, and Paul tells them, enough already. Bring them back in. Because he had done all the things he was supposed to do, but the church was like, no, 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 stay out, stay out. And Paul's like, what's wrong with you? Invite that 
brother back into fellowship. Okay? All right. Titus chapter 3, verse 10 says this. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. Division. Someone who who slices and dices the body of Christ. Someone who gossips, busy, ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Someone who causes discord among brethren, which God says he hates. There are seven things God hates. One of them is one who sows, sows discord, division. Well, you know, that church over there, blah, 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 blah. And they go up here, well, you know, that church over there, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, whoa, man, hold on, man, hold on. Listen, you know what? You, you're being divisive. You're sowing seeds of discord. God hates that. And, and, and Paul tells Titus, listen, someone's causing a division, say, yo, man, you need to chill. And here's why. And then they continue on. You say, yo, you didn't hear us the first time? You need to chill. Stop it. Stop it with all the division, and it always comes up with you. That's enough. And then he says after that, hey, I got nothing to do with you, man. Why? Because you're divisive, and you're sowing discord in the body of Christ. Now, if they repent, of course, context is if they repent and confess their sin, then you, you invite them back. But until that happens, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus speaking says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Amen. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more. But by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Um, your brother sins against you. He sinned against me. I go to him and say, man, you sinned against me. You, you, what you did was wrong. I'm like, whatever, dude. I'm like, man, okay. Well, I tried. Take somebody else, two or three. Hey, man, these are, these are people. I'm, I'm told the whole church. I'm, I'm not gossiping, but I'm following what Jesus says. And I brought two people with me to tell you, man, what you did was wrong. You need to, you need to repent, man. Well, I don't care about you. Oh, okay. Okay. Then he says, tell the church. Hey, I want everybody to know that uh, brother so-and-so did this to me, and, and he is unrepentant. What? And the church would be like, hey, what's up, man? We heard you. Sunday, your name came up, man. I said, you disrespect, you sinned against this brother, and he came to you one-on-one, -on -one, and he came to you with another brother, and, and you have been, what's up with that, man? You need to make it, you know, well, two sides of every story. Not in this case, man. You're wrong. You need to repent. No, tell it to the church, and then if they still don't repent, he says, you know what, man? We're done with you, bro. Those who sin against another and won't repent, treat them as a heathen and a tax collector. So there's another category. Wow. And this is hard stuff. So let me summarize. Keep away from any brother or sister walking in idleness. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that because Paul's not done with that with the church. Those who are indulging in sexual sin, those who are divisive, those who, against, who sin against another and won't repent. It, 
and, and we've seen the worst of this stuff, haven't we? And this is one of the reasons why I believe we're so reluctant to step into it. We've seen the worst of it. We've seen people kicked out of churches because of a power play of someone in leadership. That is so wrong. They got to go. We need to get them out of here. Okay? Um, because of some leader's ego, people have been asked to leave a church. Or because of the bitterness of someone probably in leadership, they've asked, you need to leave. The cults do this constantly. Constantly. It's a constant thing. And they do it and use this like a club to keep their members in line. Because if you leave us, you're out with God. And you'll never come back to us. So you submit. Because the last thing you want to do is be on the out with this organization. Or worse, out with God. There's no way back. Or we've seen the worst of it when someone was focusing on a particular sin but leaving out others. Because this is a serious sin. But what about that over there? Well, that's different, man. That's different. See, this, this is prevalent. See, we, would, we, won't, we won't say anything to these folks over here who are living together. We won't say nothing to them. And they come to church all the time. And we bring it up, but they're not in community, so it's almost okay. Oh, I thought they were married, but nobody knew because no one was involved with them. And then we let the homosexual couple come in. It's like, oh, you can't this, you can't this, you can't that. That's a bit hypocritical. It's a bit hypocritical, I think. We'll judge the one and be okay with the other. See, let me give you an example. We'll let a couple come in that are living together in sin and coming to church every week, holding hands, loving on one another, hugging one on another, and then we tell the homosexual couple, no shines of, of, of affection, don't hold hands, don't do anything. Shouldn't we be saying that to them too? I'm just saying. I'm not judging anybody because we're all sinners saved by grace. But I'm saying that, hey, if, if, let's not be hypocrites, and if we're not in community, then, then none of this stuff works. Because what do we do? We hide our sin or we pick the ones that are the most grievous in our own minds. Ah, right? Whoa. Wow. All right. Paul goes on in verse 7, back into 2 Thessalonians. Let's, let's change gears quick. Ah! He says in verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread. So he's getting back to the, 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 the believers who were idle. We, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. Paul was an was an example to the Thessalonians in what it meant to work hard to supply their own needs. And it wasn't that Paul the Apostle didn't have the right to request support, but in this particular sense, instance, uh, it was because he wanted to set an example to work hard and to minister 
night and day to disprove any false accusation that he preached the gospel for the money. In that particular case, that's how he lived. Now remember that there were people in Thessalonica who, you know, kind of like the 1960s, had checked out of society. And, you know, we ain't going to work. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason it was, maybe their expectation was Christ is coming at any time, so we're not going to work. And they were mooching off the church. Or they just were lazy and were like, someone said, hey, man, go down to the church, man. They'll feed you. They'll clothe you. They'll take you and you don't even have to work. That's what he's addressing. He's not addressing someone who needs a hand because the, the Bible, the New Testament, is filled with that. We'll get to that. He's saying these idol, uh, <laughs> idol, I-D-L-E worshipers, not I-D-O-L. <laughs> and, and Paul says, we were an example. There's a reason that we worked and live the way that we did night and day among you. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk. In, there it is. There's the key. Not, not just have, not just, you're a sloth, man. You're lazy. You don't want to work. Not busy at work, but busy body. So, so, so there's a two-pronged thing here. First of all, they're not willing to, to work. And they're going around stirring it up all over the place. Because when you don't work, you ain't got nothing but time. Right? You got all kind of time. Verse 12. uh, Now such persons we command and encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Um, It's not that they're not able to work. It's that they were unwilling to work. And Paul the Apostle says this, hey, if they don't want to work, stop feeding them. Watch what happens. Not talking about people that need a hand, people that need help, even people with, with, with such mental capacities that, that they couldn't even, you know, I mean, they're just trying... They can't even understand all that. No, no, no. We're talking about people who are lazy and don't want to work and are mooching off society. Moochers. That's what we're talking about. Moochers. Where's that word come from anyway? <laughs> is that like Greek or something? Right? You, does that, is that, do you get the context there? Because if they're not willing to work and they are able to work, then they don't eat. Boy, would that revolutionize our welfare system. Revolution. Well, <laughs> this is the last of it. Why? Because you're not working. I can't get a job. You ain't looking for a job. That's it. Don't come crying to us. Work it out. Wow. Whoo, what a shift that would be. Um. Now, those who are such, we command with authority through the Lord Jesus. Paul commanded these busybodies to work, to get out of uh, the business of others and work, to provide for their own needs, to eat their own bread, instead of expecting Christians to provide for them. Now, listen, the early church just, you know what? We're, the day before Easter, we're going back to the budget suites. I've explained that to you. We're going back there. It's an open door. And you know what? Not everyone there is there. There'll be those there who are lazy. They're just like any place. But we're going to be a light 
to shine the light of Christ, and we're going to give people some joy who may not have much opportunity to have joy. And if some folks come to Christ, well, yay and amen. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? Yeah, we're bringing food, and we're bringing clothes, and we're bringing kids' games, and we're bringing 300, 400 uh, e- plastic Easter eggs filled with 1,000 Easter eggs. Thank you, sir. 1,000? Man, y'all better put toothbrushes in there too, man. Parents going to be like, boy, I told you. All right, so, but, so you know, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that. But if you're going to be in long-term support or help of someone as a church, Paul says, are they able to work? Now, if they're not, if they're widows, first of all, you know, because Paul said, hey, y'all need to make sure these widows are widows. Apparently, there's some widows that crept in the church that ain't widows because their families don't want to take care of them. Right? That's in the scripture. Here, and Paul says, here are the qualifications for widows. Because some of these sisters don't qualify. <laughs> They're just like, I'm gone with the widows. Shoot, the widows ministry. Hey, can I get a little second hand? No, go get a job. Right? Paul literally lays out the qualifications for widows. Because some of y'all ain't widows, he was saying. Because <laughs> you're moochers. First Timothy 5. The early church provided for those in need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, wh- which church was it that took the offering for the, for, the, for the needy saints in Jerusalem? Was it Corinth? Was it Cor- the Corinthians. First Corinthians, they promised to take an offering, and they forgot. So Paul's like, hey, y'all, what's, what's up with the offering, man? To help the needy saints. See, that? no, that's okay. Do you get the balance there? It's not being harsh or, oh, my gosh. You're, no, this is like saying, yo, check it out, man. Ain't nothing wrong with needing a handout, needing a hand up, I mean. Nothing wrong with that. Church should be all about that. Calvin said this, don't encourage their laziness by indulging it. And, and that teach, and, and teaches that it is uh, those who prov- provided themselves with the necessity of life by honorable and useful work that lead a life of holiness. Verse four, 13, but as for you, brethren... Okay, so he, he's done with that. I, th- I feel like Paul, whoever wrote Second Thessalonians, was really jamming and pinning that paper saying, tell them jokers that they not go work, they not go eat. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. As hard as I worked over there, there's a reason I work 24-7. You know, Thessalonica, Paul's in it for the money. Are you crazy? <laughs> you lost your mind, man. I work night and day. I was a tent maker. Didn't ask nobody for nothing. Who gave me something? I didn't ask for nobody. Nothing. Why? As an example to you, to work hard. Woo! Hey? Verse 13, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Thank you, Paul. Don't grow weary. Now you get, you've quoted that scripture. Now you know the context. After talking about mooching, he says, you know what? Don't grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. There's the balance. Love, reconciliation. All right? And then, he, and then um, don't grow weary in doing good, encouraging for those who are working as they should, and you know what? It gets 
tiring sometimes to see how people take advantage of the system. It gets angry. It, it, it angers me. Um, but Paul the Apostle says, don't let that discourage you from helping those who are truly needy. Don't, don't you know, we used, we used to do, uh, years ago, we used to do at, at um, uh, Buena Vista Springs, a.k.a. Carry Arms. If you've been in town for a long time, you're familiar with the west side, which really isn't the west side, but anyway. We would um, we'd give out hundreds and hundreds of Christmas gifts. Hundreds. And, and most of the kids never said thank you or nothing. And when the lady drove up in the car with the fur coat, I said, man, something ain't right here. And she's standing in line. I'm saying, oh, honey, where are you from? We, no, no, you, no, you sell that coat. I don't know what, what, what it was. I don't know. I'm like, are you serious? And when the kids would say thank you, you know what I would do? I said, come here, man, come here, come here. What would you say? Thank you. Here, take another gift, man. Oh, thank you, thank you. You know what they do? Go tell all their friends and cousins, say, thank you, man. You get another one. I said, man, you can't win. You can't win with these little nappy-haired kids. Man. <laughs> Dang. We did the outreach at the Budget Suites years ago, Easter. There was one mom, and there are others as well. It's, you know, it's a different environment. It's a, it's a, it's a hurting environment. But I find that people are very appreciative. Um, one mother, and, and this, this made it all worth it. It's a ton of work, right? We had 70, 80, I don't know how many volunteers we had. And all, four, ugh, all day long was hot. And you know what? One of the moms came up, up to me afterwards and said, thank you so much for doing this because I honestly did not know what I was going to do for Easter. And she wasn't the only one. But so, so Paul says, man, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. Don't think, well, we're never going to do that again. No, do it differently. See, I think when it comes to helping those in need today, you have to do it different. Can't do it the way it used to be. Talking about job training. Talking about giving Christmas, having a, a kid's Christmas party, but only for the kids that are part of your program that you're seeing every week. You know what I'm saying? You got to do it differently. It look, it, it's, it's a great thing to give out three, 400 Christmas gifts. It really is. It's got to be strategic about it. Is it making a difference? All right. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, Spurgeon said this, well-doing consists in taking down the shutters and selling your goods, tucking up your shirt sleeves, and doing a good day's work, sweeping the carpets and dusting the chairs. If you happen to be a domestic servant, well, doing is attending to the duties that arise out of your relationships in life attending, life, attending carefully to them and seeing that in nothing we are eye servers and men pleasers, but in everything we are seeking to serve God. Okay, so... His benediction, this is his close. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all.
the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write, and as he quotes, so often the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen and amen. Second Thessalonians. Um, comments, questions, concerns, anything you'd like to say uh, to uh, come alongside what we said today? Anything at all? Well, one of my friends, she's, somebody, she's looking for somebody that for 34, 35 hours a week, Christian speaks Spanish, 